and welcome to another special episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today I have a legend. I mean, I guess that's the, the only way that you can describe it. Someone who has taken his art to an entirely another level. Mr. Courtney B. Vance. How you doing today, my brother? You know, I'm a little tired. We have begun the process of, uh, of pressing forward with uh, 61st Street. Uh, and it is, um, but it is all good. The, the project is is so uh, you know near and dear to all of our hearts and and we just want people to to you know get ready for uh, the journey because it, it is it is a journey and uh, I'm excited. I'm excited for it as well. You know one of the unique things about our show is we start them all kind of the same way by having our guests walk us through the arc of their career um, to introduce them to our listeners. But people know you, so we won't necessarily do that. I would like listeners, though, to hear about the moment when you decided that acting would be your gift and your craft. What was the moment when you realized that acting would be your calling? And talk about your first breakout role. I didn't know what I was going to do. All I knew is that I wasn't going to settle for not being happy with what I did. My, my dad, my mother was a librarian. And so we grew up in the library as we lived in Detroit, the library. Uh, we grew up in the library and uh, I, the, my, our, my sister and I's love of learning is, is uh, fixated right there. The museums and the library, because the main library was, all the museums were around the main library in Detroit. Um, but. Uh, but I didn't know what I wanted to. All I knew was that I wanted to follow in my uncle's footsteps, Lee Daniels, to go to Harvard. So I got to, you know, I tried to figure it out. I tried the uh, the internship with the law firm and the, uh, mechanical drawing, maybe architecture. And I just couldn't figure it out. But I knew once I got to Harvard with all the young people, we would figure it out together and uh, got there. Was uh, and I also knew that I had promised my uh, the drama teacher I did uh, I had three lines in the school play my senior year, and so I had so much fun. I promised the drama teacher that I would you know do plays when I got to Mr. Ronnie Clemmer, that I would do plays when I got to Harvard, and I put that in the the back of my mind. Got to Harvard, ran track my first year, and realized how I was running high hurdles. I was a hurdler and state champ, uh, but I, I realized the hurdles were three inches higher. Uh, I was not, and, uh, um, uh, but I, I was the second uh, um, hurdle, hurdle, hurdle on the depth chart. And so I was, it was good. I got my varsity letter and I realized I'm with the same group of guys. So I said, I'm going to, uh, I'm, I can't do this much longer. And I came over my last hurdle uh, uh, in my freshman year and I told the coach, that uh, I was going to do plays because I knew if I did plays, I would meet people and a uh, different group of people. Every time I did a play, it wasn't about acting or theater. It was just about meeting people so I can figure out what I wanted to do. And uh, he was very upset. And I said, I'm so sorry, but you know, my competitive athletic year years are done. I'm done. I need to you know, find, so, find something that, uh, you know, something else. So um, started doing my first play was a play called Mar- experimental play called Mars, and uh, uh, the, the law, uh, Harvard Law School um, student uh, was directing it, and we had an amazing time. P- young people from all over Boston were in the cast, and met my girlfriend, uh, you know, for my you know my high school my college sweetheart, and uh, um, and then my second play I. 
uh, called Story Theater uh, on the main stage at, at Harvard. Uh, I, my aunt came and saw it and said, this is something you, you look, you're really good at this. You could, you should do this as a career. And that's when the light bulb went off. And um, then the rest of it was just, what's the plan going to be? Cause I, I initially, the plan was I was going to, I wanted to take a year off and go to Banff, uh, Canada and uh, to a, an amazing uh, academy up there for a year. And, you know, take the year off from school. And I gave that plan to my parents and they were like, please, baby, don't do that. Please, you're going to extend our payments. Please don't do that. And I, you know, I, I had to come to, you know, to, I grew up right there in front of them. And I said, you know, through my tears, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to work, do my work study jobs to, throughout the year and save up all that money during the year and give you the money um, so that in the summers I can do acting workshops and things. And they said, that's a plan, baby. And then after that, I said, I said, and then I'll know I, I'm going to go to drama school after I finish, after I graduate. And she said, okay, you pay for that. We got Harvard. If you go to drama school and get in Yale or wherever, you're going to have to pay for that. I said, okay. And that was our, our agreement. I was free. And uh, uh, the rest of it just, you know, was, took care of itself. But the, the hard part was getting to that place where I knew what I wanted to do and was committing to it. And that the, my Harvard years where I was going from 5.30 in the morning till when I finished rehearsal at, and at Boston Shakespeare Company to about midnight and crashed at my aunt's place in, in uh, Brookline, got up at five in the morning, got back to the, the, the dorm where my papers were. I had a paper route delivering New York Times, Harvard Crimson's and, and uh, Boston Globes to, to Harvard Yard. Um, finished that at uh, like seven, had breakfast at eight, class, you know, uh, till whenever, one, two, um, and then hopped on my bike and rode across to the Boston Shakespeare Company where I did my, you know, rehearsals. We had sh shows at night and crashed at my aunt's or my girlfriend and did the whole thing again. That was my last two years at home. Let me ask you, this, <laughs> your parents sound a lot like my, my mindset that they could that I could go to any any I could go to any college in the country as long as it was an HBCU and they would pay for it. So they kind of they kind of limited it, but they they gave me that that guidance. But let me ask you this: It's a question that I ask a, a lot of actors who come on. But which do you enjoy the most, the the stage or the screen? Um, and talk about the thrill when you were younger of of being on the stage. Uh, I, the, I was trained on the stage, so that's initially all I knew. I didn't know anything about the about film. Yale School of Drama at that time did not train actors to go go into the film business or television, because everything was separated at that time. Film actors and TV film actors did film, TV actors did TV, uh, the commercial actors did commercials, and the soap actors did soaps. So it was very segregated. And but when we got out, we realized and I was blessed to be able to do that. I that fences launched me. So the theater theatrical world knew me when I came out. So I was I was on stage just about every night for the next seven years and just got burned out from all of that. The, the film was just a, a way for me to actually uh, do something uh, different because I got burned out in in New York went to LA and started doing, doing films and television. And, uh, um, uh, but the, 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 the plays had you, you have the whole play 
to guide you with with stage and that 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 and I, I said to someone the other day that that every actor needs to know what that fear is like to be to have to be able to carry to be able to um, be you know in rehearsal process knowing that you got to get up in front of people not really knowing who you are yet and do go to the preview period and when we when I did Lucky Guy in 2012 with uh, Tom Hanks. Um, you know, I hadn't been on stage since 1993. Oh, man. So, you know, getting my sea legs back. But I, I always start with I don't know anything and build from there. And because uh, if I don't, I'm you know, I'm just extending the process. You, you, you got to you got to figure it out. You got to start and, you know, have the courage to be able to to walk yourself through into the place where you get in front of the audience and you start to discover what the. As the Lloyd Richard said years ago, there's uh, the, the dean emeritus of the Yale Drama School and the, the, the master director said at a certain point in the process, the writer knows more than anyone else. At a certain point in the process, the director knows more than anyone else. At a certain point in the process, the actors know more. And at a certain point in the process, the audience knows everything. And so you have to you have to leave room for the audience to inform you. When I get up, as uh, George C. Wolf told me one time when we were doing Lucky Guy, he said, Courtney, you're like a dumb blonde. You didn't do anything in rehearsal, nothing. You did nothing in previews. But when the, after previews start to, about a week into previews, you started to, all kind of stuff started to happen. Things became funny. You just, and I said, yeah, I don't know anything. I'm, I'm letting everything fall over me and just wash over me. And then all of a sudden, when the audience gets in there, I know. And I said, you're a dumb blonde too, George, because you did the same thing. You just move, you're just moving us around till we get in the theater. So the audience gets in there and tells to tell you where the play is. So yeah, we're the same person. We're both dumb blondes. It's all good. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Before we get to 61st Street, I wanted to reflect a bit on my favorite role that you played, and that's of iconic trial lawyer, former former uh, attorney for my dad, uh, Johnny Cochran, in the FX series, American Crime Series. What all went into how you prepared for that one? I read Jeffrey Tubin's book two times. I'm going to tell Jeff that, too, when I see him. He's going to be thrilled about that, too. I'm going to see him in, in about three months at our 40th 
Harvard uh, reunion. So uh, he knows the story. He knows that's what I did. And I, and there's sometimes when, you know, it's a, the, for me, the, the hardest part is figuring out the way in with, with uh, a character with a, a role. And, and, and sometimes the way in is to do a lot of studying and to, um, to, you know, do your research and, you know, you know, then, but on this one, because Johnny was so overwhelmingly known by everyone. And I felt that if I, if I went and I mean, and he's got some, there's so many videos and so much footage of him. And I said, I said, I don't want to be imitating him. So I said, I just need a kernel of going I know we're going to be doing three and four episodes at the same time. So I'm not going to have time to, to, you know, look at video. My, it's my, my, my chin right is my, it's, I'm not gonna have time for that. So I'm gonna get a kernel so that we'll, when, when I'm doing things, going, moving fast, I'll be able to go, hmm, hmm. it's like a tuning fork, hmm, got it, let's go. And so uh, the, the, the moment for me was when I was reading his book and his mother uh, said that she had four boys or you know, maybe, I think there was a daughter in there, four or five, I can't remember, but she said, Johnny's the one that can go to one of these white schools, I think it was LA High or something like that, and be able to, to deal with these white folks and they will take him higher. He went to the LA High, they went to UCLA and, you know, and he was put in the mix. I said, that's exactly what, you know, happened to me. I went to Detroit Country Day uh, on scholarship and was able to, you know, from there segue out to Harvard and the rest of it happened. So, you know, I saw that, that our, our trajectories were the same, that's all I needed. And the rest of it was just simply, you know, the scripts were great. I knew that the audience would forgive me whatever nuance I missed. I mean, I, I don't think you missed one. But I was also a big fan of Lovecraft and your portrayal of Aretha Franklin's father, C.L. Franklin. Mm-hmm. Do you find it more difficult to play characters that people often have a frame of reference for, like you just talked about, like C.L. or Johnny Cochran, or characters that are completely fictitious, like a George Freeman? It, it depends. Uh, you know, George, with... With with uh, a CL uh, Reverend CL, I because there, uh, it, it it was a rhythm of of how he preached mm. and a very specific cadence, uh, and so I had to. And there's tons of just like with uh, 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 Mr. Cochran, there's tons of and he, and because he was one of the first pastors to to sell his albums um, and sell his his uh, his sermons, uh, I and I just went on YouTube. Put in CL Reverend CL Franklin, all his sermons came up, and so I just listened and listened and listened and just you know getting a, getting a rhythm with how he spoke and how he he preached and uh, um, and gave me a sense of who he was and how he walked and how he you know dealt with people and uh, so with 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 that I just with with him I I did listen to everything I could and read his biography and um, read uh, a biography of his um, to get a sense of the time period. And because I know people are going to be coming at me with, how can you play a, he's so evil. He's so, I said, but you know, people are people, you know, people we all people. got stuff people in People are complicated. We complicated. We complicated. complicated. Everybody is. And that was a complicated time. Anybody who grew up in the, came up in the, in the twenties and thirties and forties when they were just burning and lynching and, dragging black folks with no, you know, Emmett Till, if you, you, you grew up doing it, you know, about Emmett Till, knowing that the white man did what they did and they still walk that, that, that does something to you. And, you know, and there's a, there's a residual, uh, um, that everybody who grew up during that time dealt with it. And the, the person, the people that, that had 
that the world came down on every time the most was black women and black children. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, and, uh, and the, 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 the church members knew their pastor. They knew he wasn't perfect. They knew he had issues. You know, he, they ran him out of, uh, out of, uh, uh, Memphis because he had a baby with a 12 year old girl. So, and, uh, you know, so, you know, he was not, he was far from a perfect man, but all them pastors back there, MLK was far from a perfect man and they were brothers. They were best friends. Whenever Martin Luther came into, into Detroit, he stayed with it. He stayed with Reverend C.L. Franklin. So, you know, uh, they were all doing it. They were all in, 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 in on it. And, uh, it was a time period. And so, I can't judge it by today. You can't judge it by today. And we got mess in our time period that you let a, a man, you know, just just uh, incite a, a, an insurrection and you still don't want to convict him. So I ain't got nothing to say about C.L. Franklin when you can't take care of your own business. So that's me. Preach. Let's talk about sixty. Let's talk about sixty first street. You go. You uh, go away from that real fast. No, I, I, I'm not. I enjoyed it. I just let you go. Let's Amen. talk about. Let's talk about sixty first street. Uh, what's it about, and who is Franklin Roberts? Franklin Roberts is a, a man who, at the tail end of his uh, professional career, he's about to retire. Two weeks from retire, he asks his wife, "Did I, did I do anything? Did I make a difference um, with representing?" You know, uh, you know, hundreds and maybe thousands of people that came through his his, uh, you know, his, his, as he went through courtrooms, the 26th and, and California, that was the courtroom. And uh, did he do anything? Did he help anybody? And his wife said, baby, come on now. You know what that that place is like. And you did the best you could. Let's move on. You you got to take care of your your 16 year old autistic son now. And I'm going to get into politics and. We're going to flip this thing and reverse it and and have a wonderful rest of our lives. And, and in the midst of that, you know, life happens. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, a, a young man who everyone knew he was he was on his way the night before he goes to college on a scholarship and on to the Olympics. And, you know, he was me. He was a, a young man who had everything lined up for him, even though everything was against him. And we were so proud and knew that he was on his way. And life happened, and all of a sudden he's in the run of his life, and uh, and 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 I find out, and I, I've I've segue from my my pity party with my wife, and I'm you know chewing on something and getting ready for a wonderful Friday, and recognizing that my life is about to turn for the next phase, and I'm talking to Tim and my my wife and son are on the couch, and my son is listening to someone with his earphones, and my wife says, uh, yeah, they they found somebody who who uh, killed the cop. Ooh, really? Who, who, who is it, baby? What's going on? What, what, what happened? What's in, who, Moses. No, 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 no. My life just gone right there. Because I said, they're not getting him. I don't care about anything else, but that, that some, comes a time when something's more important than everything else. And it was more important than the promise I made to my wife that I'm going to mm -hmm. take care of, of my son and, and, and be home. And she knows that because she knows me, but still she was absolutely right. And I was absolutely wrong. I was absolutely right. And she was kind of wrong, but you know, it, it was one of those moments where we all know that's not black or white. That's, that's a Sophie's choice moment. That's a, that's a Franklin Roberts moment. It'll be known as from now on as well. 
that he made the choice for his conscience. Sometimes that the, you know the you you've got to you've got to come to that place when and I think every in every life where you have to where the rubber meets the road and it met the road there for him and he he made the choice and said let the chip fall where they may and it it they fell they absolutely fell on top of him and he said my shoulders are broad I've come to the place this place for such a time as this I'm here everything I've done was for this moment let's go this episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert. And I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert. And I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure. Because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. The show is tackling a tough subject, and that's the city of Chicago policing and how black folks interact with law enforcement. What type of preparation uh, went into this role to portray Franklin Roberts? You know, there's so much that he's dealing with. I, there's, 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 there wasn't enough I could do. I mm. recognized that, that, that this was going to be an emotional roller coaster, and it was going to be a technical roller coaster because... I'm in the courtroom as well. Eventually, I get, I've got to go into the courtroom. And when you go into the courtroom, you're going to deal with all the courtroom requires, which is openings and closings and, and cross-examinations. And I had, I had a prodigious amount of all of those, in addition to being in just about every scene. Um, so it was, it was, a, uh, it was a, a journey that I had to really just fix my mind that this is what's going to be. Uh, there are no weekends, you know, the, the, I'm just going to be grinding this out for nine months. And, uh, um, and of course, COVID happened during that time. So I wasn't able to go back home for about six months. Uh, the, the family came out a couple of times, but it was rough. It was very, very difficult. Um, but, you know, the, the preparation was my life preparation in terms of how are you going to physically, emotionally, tackle this 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 mountain that you have to climb and then come back down i mean i i'm sitting in my law firm here as we record this show and i can't help but realize that you're a lawyer again in this show is it something about you and lawyers do, do those roles just attract you the, the the fight for justice and what did you see in this script that made courtney b vance say yes i i saw a very complicated man and a very complicated situation. And that's all I needed to see. 
that's 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 what that's my passion. That's what drives me. Finding those 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 roles that that we all can go. Yeah, man. Damn, that was ah, that was me up there. That that that's what this is. This is not me. This is you. This is our fathers. This is our mothers. You know, uh, Andrine Ward was was every every woman, black, white, you know, dealing with two boys who she raised by herself, cleaning toilets for 25 years, doing the all the right things. She did all the right things. And now you're going to tell me my boy, you're going to come in my house and tell me my boys were dealing with drugs. They were not. Now, I'm, if we have to fall out, we're going to fall out right now. And that's why in the course of this, when the, when the popo handed her the phone and tell, told her to tell your boy to come in, she told him, this is the most important thing I'm going to tell you in your life, run. And so that there comes a time when you, you've, got to, you've got to make a decision about who you are and whose you are. And everybody in this film has had to mark O'Brien, who played the, the police officer. He had to make a decision about whose side are you on? And that that's a decision that his life spun on. And, you know, so it's it's a it's a it's a project that forces all of us to to challenge what's right and what's wrong. The pastor in the show was was challenging me, uh, you know, Franklin, that's not right. You we, I said, what is right? You have to decide for yourself what is right. That what's your line in the sand? And my line in the sand was getting that boy off and I'm going to do whatever I need to do because you know and I know he did not do it. Mm. How can people watch it? When can people watch it? April 10th we begin. Um, it is on AMC. I don't know. I think it's on AMC and AMC Plus. And uh, it is, you know, it's a, there's 16 episodes. We're doing eight. Uh, the first season revealing, we're going to show eight the first ceiling, first season and then I, I don't know when the next eight drop but that oof, you, folks are in for a ride yeah, man i can't wait man i mean being that this is the work that i do i got a lot of lawyers that listen to this show a lot of people in law school that listen to this show young lawyers young wannabe lawyers man i hope they all tune in what are some of the other projects you're working on that you can actually talk about i, I learned i had to add that piece to the question when talking to some of y'all because y'all got top secret projects in hollywood that y'all can't we do and and i'm not quite sure what i can talk about the, the main thing that in terms of what we're doing uh, what projects that we have to we're, we're doing? We have uh, several projects that are that are going to drop very shortly. But the the main thing that we want to say is that our our production company, which is Bass Advanced Productions, uh, which is uh, we've we've got a wonderful team around us with Lynette Ramirez as our development vice president and Dwayne Johnson Cochran, our producing partner. And so we're really on top of uh, of Angela and I are really about making sure that they're they're, they're projects that that speak to the, the diaspora, that speak to, you know, the, the, the collective experience of being of color and, uh, and, and that world and what we deal with that, that doesn't necessarily translate and come in terms of what we see and the, the of color projects that, that, uh, that, they, that the, 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 uh, the industry wants us to say, this is representative of who we are. So it's just exciting for us that we're able to now use the, the leverage that we have to tell stories that are important to us. So get ready, get ready, get ready. I'm excited, man. Thank you for spending some time with us today. Thank you for your team around you. You are only as good as the team around you. And not only Amen. do you have- You know that with your part. Man. Thank you, Mr. Don. <laughs> 
I got I got a good team around here, man. So thank you for joining the Bakari Sellers podcast, man. We'll check 61st Street out and everything else that you touch. So God be blessed. God bless you all. Thank you. <laughs>